So we return this morning to our message series in the book of Jonah. Go ahead and find your place in Jonah chapter 2, the Old Testament book of Jonah and chapter 2. Hold your place there for just a moment. Uh, you will find throughout the facility now on table, starting at the table at the back, but we've spread it out a bit, a little card like, that looks like this that says the best news. It says the best news. And on the back is a very simple presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, it says what the bad news is, that we are sinners. It says what the worst news is, uh, that we cannot save ourselves. The good news is uh, that God did something about that. And the best news is you can trust Christ as your Savior. And scripture verses that go along with that with a very simple prayer that you or your loved one or your friend can pray to trust Christ as their Savior. Now, these were created by the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, and we have taken them and added our logo with our website at the bottom. Now, why, why are these all over the, the, the facility? They're over the facility so that you can take them and distribute them, or you can use them to share the gospel with someone. Uh, a good way to use this is to leave it with your tip at a table at a restaurant. Be sure you tip. If you do that, then leave that, just tuck it in there with what you leave behind for the server. Uh, you can give it to someone when you're out shopping. You can, might have a friend you've been wanting to share the gospel with. This is a great way to do it. Uh, very simple, lots of uses of it. So we want you to have those, take those. As many as you will use or distribute, they will stay around the facility. And uh, you can pick those up anytime that you like. I like the way the presentation of the gospel is on this little piece of literature, this little card, uh, from bad to worse to good to best, because that's kind of what our relationship with God is, a lot, is like frequently, uh, especially before we come to Christ, we don't realize that we need Christ. Then we find out how bad our condition is. The Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but then we find out the good news is that God sent his son Jesus into the world to die on the cross for you and for me. God raised him from the grave. He's alive today. So the best news is if you call out to Christ in faith and repent of your sins, he will save you and forgive you and give you a relationship with your creator, his father, your father in heaven. That's great news, isn't it? And sometimes we have to face the bad news in order to understand the good news and to grasp the best news of all. But our relationship with God tends to continue that way. Sometimes God has to get through to us with some bad news that we've turned our backs on him. Even if we're followers of Christ, occasionally we disobey God. And if this goes on a while, bad becomes worse. The good news is God wants you back. God seeks you. He pursues you. The best news is when you turn to him and repent of your disobedience, he will restore you to fellowship and faith. He wants you back. And if you find yourself in this message series or this morning, you find yourself in disobedience to him. You have turned your back on your God and you know it. You're still a churchgoer. You still consider yourself religious. But you know your relationship with God is just not right. And he keeps reminding you because he's pursuing you. He keeps telling you, you need to come back. You need to acknowledge that there's bad news. And that if you acknowledge that, the good news is he will welcome you home. 
The book of Jonah is about God's pursuit of us, God's relentless love that God will not let go of us. The, the book of Jonah is about God as our creator, that he created all people. And therefore, he wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. Not everyone will, not everyone will trust Christ, but God wants everyone to do that. So he has servants that he sends to pursue the lost, to preach the gospel, to do ministry in the world, to serve others. But sometimes those servants fall into disobedience, like Jonah, who fled from God's assignment. But God pursues him as well. God doesn't let go. God pursues us. His love is that relentless that he comes after you. Makes you miserable when you're disobedient to him, but God is still pursuing you because he wants you back, because he loves you that much. This week and next week, we're going to look at Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, and we're going to see two key elements of your restoration, your return from disobedience coming back to obedience. First, repentance, and then next week, restoration. Now, I want to illustrate it this way. Uh, we have some rose bushes on the side of our house. We planted those years and years ago when we moved into the house, uh, planted these rose bushes. And the beds are uh, just, they've grown wonderfully, they do great. But as it turns out, I'm not the best tender of the garden. And I tend to neglect things that I don't see around the house, and, and I'm the world's worst. Let me give you one example. It's not a, kind of a side story, but one example. Many, many years ago, my first ministry assignment full-time in North Carolina was at the Dudley Shoals Baptist Church in Granite Falls, and we were so excited. I was going to be associate pastor there, and my wife came in, and, and she sort of puts, you know, kind of helped me clean up and get the office ready, and she put two plants in the office for me. And about four months later, she said, how are those plants doing? And I said, what plants? From that point forward, I've always had synthetic plants in my office. No living creature may wander in, lest they don't survive. My wife is smart in that way. So anyway, back to the rose bushes. So we plant these rose bushes. They flourish. They do great when the deer leave them alone. But over the last several months, for quite a while, I've neglected those rose bushes. And what happens when you neglect the bushes? And no matter how beautiful they might be, when they're flourishing, the weeds kind of start coming and they start taking over and it starts looking pretty rough. And I, and I kind of felt for my neighbor on that side because that's what he sees of our house. When he looks out his kitchen window, he sees what are supposed to be flourishing rose bushes. And over about a year became just kind of a mess outside in that bed. So this year, the last few months, I decided to take my time to go out there uh, a few Saturdays, spend a little time weeding out, cleaning out, pruning, getting the mess out of the beds to get the rose bushes back to looking like there are rose bushes actually there. And after I did that, I got a text from my neighbor. He says, they look good. And I noticed last week, for the first time, one of those rose bushes bloomed. And I suddenly realized I had not seen that rose bush bear roses in a year. It just bloomed. Think of it this way. Cleaning out the mess is repentance. And the purpose of cleaning out the mess is so the roses bloom again. Restoration. That's where God wants to get you. And sometimes we don't even realize how bad the mess has become. Or we make it worse by neglect or by overtly feeding the mess. One or the other. 
But God won't let us go because God wants us back and he wants us to realize when we clean out the mess, when we repent, he can bring us back again, restore us. Now, just for the sake of, of this message and next week, the term repentance in the Bible simply means turn around and confess to God what God already knows. It means change your life, change your mindset, change your thinking, change your direction. Turn around. Stop going the way you're going and come back to Him. So keep that in mind as we move forward this week and next week. You'll recall that Jonah was thrown overboard. The Phoenician sailors, scared to death of the storm and of Jonah's God, cast him overboard. He went into the sea. The storm stopped. And as we saw last week, God assigned, appointed a great fish to show up and to swallow Jonah. Pick up with me in chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice when you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas. The current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worldliness or worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. In the story of Jonah, this is the first time he prays. Now earlier in the book, you'll remember, the Phoenician sailors call him out of a sleep in the uh, down in the hold of the ship, he's sound asleep in the storm, and they're all praying to their particular gods, hoping that one of them is the cause of the storm, and they can appease that god, and, and, and nothing happens. So they go wake up Jonah, they bring him up top, they say, pray with us, join our prayer meeting, pray to your god, and let's see what happens. But no prayer is recorded of Jonah at that point. No prayer or conversation with God is really recorded with Jonah until chapter 2. And this is Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish. And this is a prayer of repentance and restoration. Now, if you know your Bible very well, you'll notice there are a couple of things not really in this prayer that we would expect to see in a prayer of repentance, or in most of them. For example, in King David, King David prays in Psalm 51 and repents of his sin, his adultery with Bathsheba. He cries out to God. He explicitly confesses his sin and he explicitly asks God for forgiveness and, and to create in me, he says, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. But we don't hear Jonah explicitly confessing sin in this prayer, and we don't hear Jonah explicitly asking for forgiveness. But see, this prayer of Jonah is a heart cry. It's, no, it's likely an example of an extended prayer that lasted three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, crying out to God from his heart. All the elements are there, his desire to be forgiven, his desire to be restored to God. His confession of sin is felt from the heart. 
and in the cry of Jonah. It's all there. What we have here is a condensed version of three days of crying out to God from the depths of this fish. If you are in disobedience to God, if you have turned your back on Him, you know it. You know it. And the farther you get from Him, the more He speaks to you about it, the more you know in your heart you need to come back, the more you need to turn and trust God again. Cry out to Him in prayer. Let Him know your heart, that you are repentant, that you want to come back to Him, and He will welcome you back. This morning I want us to consider from Jonah's prayer the repentance of his prayer leading to restoration that we'll see next week. I want you to see with me three ingredients of that repentance that brings you back to obedience. Three ingredients of that repentance that brings you back to obedience. And you may realize in, in, in reading this and seeing this that this is where you are and one of these lacks from your prayer, lacks from your life. And if that's the case, restore this to your life. Restore this to your prayer. Restore this to your crying out to God so that you can be restored to Him and restored to obedience. I want you to see first that you have to acknowledge God's gracious sovereignty. Acknowledge God's gracious sovereignty. What do we mean by sovereignty? Sovereignty is the rule of God. It's the uh, clear expression when we use the term, the clear expression that God is ruler of all things. He is king of the universe and king of creation. He is the sovereign who sits on his throne. But our problem is we tend to think of that in negative terms. We tend to think of God as our sovereign in a controlling way. Uh, and, and conventionally in culture, the Old Testament God is thought of to be the bad God. That if we talk of his sovereignty, we're talking of him as a malicious God or a capricious God who, who does what he wants to do without concern for his creation. Uh, the Marvel uh, movies and, and comics, the X-Men, have a whole universe all they own. It's kind of uh, their own. It's kind of a bizarre universe. I'm not very familiar with it. But I like to read about movies. And I stumbled across this particular film in the Marvel X-Men universe, uh, X-Men Apocalypse. X-Men Apocalypse, and if you're not familiar with the X-Men, that's okay. Uh, it, they are mutants that are supposed to be uh, the higher evolutionary scale of human beings. They are mutants coming into with an X gene that makes them different and mutants. Now, let me pause here. This is one of those side streets. We'll take just a minute. I've always wondered if secular people hear themselves talk. Because if they believe in Darwinian evolution, they're contradicting it. Mutants die out in Darwinian evolution. They would not survive, let alone be better. But, hey, they didn't ask me, right? So, in this particular film, there is a super mutant who has lived thousands of years, and he is woken up. And when he wakes up, he finds that the world is worse, he thinks, than it was when he was put to sleep hundreds of years ago. But he has superseded all this time. He's had several different incarnations. And, and now he wakes up, and, and evidently the 21st century. And he is malicious. 
unkind and cruel. He is amoral. He has no conscience. He uses his powers for his own desires. And his desire is to annihilate all human beings so that he can start over on planet Earth. He thinks nothing of life, but only the life that he wants. And in the film, he names himself a few times, and one of those names is Elohim, the God of the Old Testament. In an interview, writer and director Brian Singer was asked about this character, Apocalypse, who he envisioned that character to be, and he immediately answered, oh, he's the God of the Old Testament. He's the cruel and malicious and capricious God of the Old Testament. He goes out and he kills people for no reason because that's what we see in the Old Testament. God slaughters people. He has no morality in the Old Testament. A lot of people think that, not realizing that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament in Jesus Christ. They are one and the same. And you can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. And God is not cruel and malicious and capricious ever. God is benevolent and gracious. And he shows us what our sin does to us and does to humanity. He tries to teach us as he would teach children what sin and forgiveness and grace is all about. His sovereignty is his graciousness. But all along, sovereignty of God reminds us constantly, very simply this, he is God and we are not. Jonah comes back to that moment. He expresses the sovereignty of God in a couple of ways. First, you notice he said it was the God that threw him overboard. The Phoenician sailors, it might have been that their hands, God used them to do it, but God oversees that. God threw him overboard. God had a reason for it. Then he says it was your billows, your waves That struck me. God, you are our creator. And because you're our creator, you are sovereign over all things. You use the tools of creation to carry out your purposes, to get us back where you want us to be. Jonah recognizes the sovereignty of God is gracious. And God intends to use his sovereignty to get Jonah back where God wants Jonah to be. Simply put, to get back where God wants you to be. Start here. He is God and I am not. And I can't keep running from him as if it it doesn't matter. I can't remain in disobedience and, and there be no consequences. He is God and I am not. Acknowledge his sovereignty, but remember it's gracious sovereignty. Another way that Jonah expresses this, get this, is that he's alive at all. He's alive. He finds himself in a terrible dark place, but he's alive and he can cry out to God because he is still alive. He he said, my life was fading away, but I could cry out to you and I knew that you heard my cry. That's God's grace. One more chance. You have an opportunity to cry out to God and you can know that he'll respond. So acknowledge God's gracious sovereignty. Second, confess your personal responsibility. Confess your personal responsibility. God, as God, balances his sovereignty with the free will he has given us. We make choices, and God holds us responsible for those choices. He teaches us what choices to make. He guides us in those choices, but God holds us responsible for those choices. He holds us accountable when we are free to make those choices. God is the only one that knows how to balance those two things perfectly, his sovereignty and our free will. And that's why he created us with that will, that ability to make choices, even if it meant our choice was to run from him. And he allows that. But he never leaves us. He 
He always pursues us, never gives up on us, so we will make that choice to come back to him. That's God's sovereignty. That's God's love. Notice what Jonah never does in the prayer. You notice what he never does? He, he, he recognizes God's sovereignty, but he never blames God for his choices. Why me, God? I've been good. Why, why is this happening to me? No, he, he acknowledges his choices. He knows what he has done. Go back to the passage with me for just a minute. I want you to notice a few things here. Verse 2, I called to the Lord in my distress. He answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You, that is God, heard my voice. Verse 4, I said I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again once more toward your holy temple. And on and on it goes in that direction. He takes responsibility, personal responsibility, and he engages with God personally. Not in a formal way, but in a very personal way. God, I know what I have done. And as a result of what I have done, I, the term he uses, I have been banished. That is, God, you, you set me out. You set me apart. You put me in this direction. But God, also, you welcome me back when I cry out to you. That's my responsibility, to cry out to God. And you hear me. You'll answer me. If you noticed in the book, that both literally and somewhat metaphorically, Jonah's been on a downward slide. His first bad decision was to run from God, to try to get himself unavailable so he would not have to go to preach to a people he did not like. <laughs> then he jumps on a ship when he's never been at sea before. Charters a ride with Phoenician sailors. The storm comes up. The next stage downward is very literally into the sea. He is cast into the sea, and as if that were not enough, he is scooped up by a great fish by God's design, swallowed by the fish. He is in the deepest, darkest place he could possibly be. That's where he finds himself. He describes this dark place in very vivid and graphic terms. He calls it Sheol, which in the Old Testament and the ancient days was the abode of the dead. He describes in verse 5 drowning, being wrapped up in seaweed, the water coming up to his neck. It's a horrible, terrifying experience, especially for a man that's never been at sea. And now he finds himself in a place with no light, the darkest, absolute darkest place. And not one time does he blame God for his predicament. Not one time does he say, God, why me? I've been good. He says, God, I know why. I've been banished. I've turned my back on you. But there is hope because I'm still alive. I'm still alive. This is the bottom line, folks. Repentance always includes confession. Always includes confession. Your personal relationship with God hinges on your acknowledging your accountability, responsibility, for turning your back on God. And when you do that, when you do that, he hears your prayer. That brings us to the third ingredient of repentance that leads to restoration. Trust God's consistent character. Trust God's consistent character. God doesn't change. Here Jonah is wrapped up in the stomach 
of this fish, the darkest place he's ever been, the worst conditions he could ever imagine, and yet he still knows he can pray and God will hear him. It doesn't matter the depth of the darkness. It doesn't matter how far removed he is from God or how disobedient he is. He knows that God never changes. And he knows that if he turns toward God, his God, the God he's known all his life, the Lord his God, as he calls him personally, the Lord my God, he knows that God will respond. That God has not left him. Because God is consistent in his character. You can count on God's promises. You can count on God's character no matter what, God does not change. Verse 7, as my life was fading away, listen to that, I'm dying. That's what he says, I- I'm dying. My life is fading away. At that moment, he says, I remember the Lord. And there's nothing complicated about that phrase. That's what it means. Just like that, he remembered God. He remembered his personal relationship with God. And he says, my prayer came to you, my God. To your holy temple. I knew that you heard me. I knew that you heard me. And I knew because of that. Jonah says. This was not the end. I knew that if I cried out to my God. His character is always consistent. He always hears me. He always responds. He never leaves me. And no matter the darkness I find myself in. Darkness I've never experienced before. My God is always there. And he's always with me. Why? Because God wants you back. God wants you back. God wants you home. Uh, I live in Shalote and in a community called Briarwood. Some of you do too. And if you don't, you're familiar with it. Uh, and uh, we have a, a Facebook page, the Briarwood Community. Now, I'm not on there a whole lot, but I like to check it now and then. And it's fascinating the people in Briarwood follow the animals of Briarwood. They're fascinated with the animals in Briarwood. Uh, the alligators in the pond get special attention. If, they're, if they show their nose, they get a snapshot and they show up on the Facebook page. And, and everyone apparently is very excited about that. Uh, one of my personal favorites is the lady who feeds deer in her front yard by the road. Yeah, there's that. There, there's a gentleman, or well, a lot of folks actually have have uh, taken uh, a real interest in three ducks that showed up in Briarwood. Apparently, they were pet ducks that were dropped off there, which never should happen, but evidently that's what happened. Well, now, for whatever reason, remember the alligators, but for whatever reason, we're down to one duck. (laughs) And this duck likes people. So there's this ongoing conversation with photos of the duck, and uh, I don't know that the duck has a name. Does the duck have a name? Okay, the duck doesn't have a name. But, But... the, the photos of the duck, it's, it's on something, it's walking, and there's little descriptions of it following people because people like the duck and the duck likes people. But my overall all-time personal favorite is a dog named Willow. Willow was a rescue dog that, that a family in the neighborhood got. And Willow was still skittish even after her rescue, and she bolted from the house. And for weeks... Weeks, photos would show up of Willow on the Facebook page. Willow sightings would show up. There would be a dot out on the grass formerly known as a golf course. And that's Willow. I couldn't tell. For all I knew, it was a gerbil or a hamster. I didn't know, but that's Willow. And then suddenly there'd be Willow in somebody's yard. And and every time they tried to approach Willow, Willow would run off. 
And this went on for weeks, maybe months. This willow sightings, willow sightings, people watching willow. They're putting food out for willow, and willow won't come and eat, and which makes you wonder also what happened to the ducks, doesn't it? And then one day, the original owner posted, Willow has come home. Willow's back. Thank you so much for watching Willow. Now, the moral of that story is, this is what disobedience looks like. You were home with God, and you decided to run. Doesn't mean God never stopped watching you. He is. He's watching you. He's loving you. He's calling you home. He's excited when you show up. But he wants you to come home. And sometimes things have to get worse before they'll get better. They have to get worse before you realize where home is. They have to get worse before you realize it's your disobedience that puts you where you are, away from the home of the one that rescued you in the first place. And you say, it's time to go home. That's where I belong. If you're running that track, it's time to come home. Repentance is saying, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me, God, for turning my back on you. I know what I've done. And God, thank you for never leaving me. It's been a dark, dark place, but I want to come home. And what you'll find is the Father is right there when you pray, when you trust him, his consistent character, and he will always receive you back. I'm going to ask in-house if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. First, I'm going to pray for believers, those of us in this room, and for those of you at home, bow your heads, close your eyes, and then I'm going to pray for those they may want to trust Christ as their Savior for the very first time today. Believers in the house, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around, I want to ask you a question. We're not doing conventional altar calls right now or come to the front right now, and that's okay, but I, I, want, to, I want to know something. I want to pray for you, and God wants to see this. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you would say to the Lord, God, I've been disobedient. Forgive me. I want to come home. Just lift your hand up where you are. Nobody looking around. Lift your hand up. God sees it. God knows. Our Heavenly Father, you see these hands, God. You know our hearts. Even before we showed up today, you knew. You knew. God, we don't know what we don't know. But you do. And now we found out today, you've never let us go. You've always loved us. You've always pursued us. So, Father, for those who raised their hands and maybe for some who didn't and for those at home who acknowledge, Father, they've been disobedient, I pray for all of us, God, you would forgive us, God, of our sins. Forgive us, Father, cleanse us. We turn to you this time. We, we repent. We turn away from running away. And we come back to you, God. You, you rescued us, Father. You loved us in Christ and we turned our backs on you. God, forgive us for that. We come home today. And Father, for those who raise their hands and for others of us, God, who need to make a fresh commitment to Christ, who need to start over today, Father, I pray when we leave this place, we would renew our fellowship with you. We would be daily in prayer in your word. We would build relationships in the body of Christ. We would grow in obedience, God. We would wake up each morning and say yes to what you call us to do. God, thank you so much for being gracious to us. 
Thank you so much for your mercy and your love. Thank you so much. God, thank you so much for forgiving us and for calling us home, God, but most of all, for receiving us back into your presence today. Father, I pray for other needs and burdens into the room. And, you know, God, maybe we're in a dark place, but it's not because of our disobedience. Father, maybe it's something we're going through, something we're struggling with, something we need to be reminded of your presence with us, God. So, Father, we, we count on that consistent character, your promises, your answers to prayer, your love for us, and we give you those burdens and cares, God. We give you the struggle that we're in. We give you the heartache. We give you the troubles. We give all that to you, God, today. Maybe there's some who just need to rededicate their lives to Jesus Christ. We know we've been saved, God, but we have not been following Christ obediently. Father, today, let this be the day that we say yes, recommit our lives to Christ, and follow you. Maybe there's some who just need to join fellowship with First Baptist Church. Take that next step of faith. Need to be baptized, God, whatever that step of faith is. Father, show us what that is, and we'll follow through with it. So, Father, now also I pray for those, God, who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. They, they've not been aware of their sin until this moment, God, when you've shown that to them. You've shown them they've lived a life of disobedience, turned their back on their Savior, the one who came and died on the cross for them. So God, I pray today would be the day if there's just one in this room or online, Father, they would trust Christ as their Savior today, praying this prayer alongside me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. I know, God, that I've been disobedient away from you. And Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And I believe he's alive today. So Jesus, I ask, would you come into my heart, into my life, forgive me of my sins, cleanse me. I repent of my sin to follow Christ today. Father, if any in-house or online prayed that prayer, I pray, God, they'd follow through with that. Let's take those steps of faith to grow in Christ together. And it's in his precious name we pray.